This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to another episode of Podcast on the Brink. Another week, another first-time guest, William McDermott of Inside the Hall is here for what I hope will be many appearances throughout the season. William, you broadcasted the exhibition opener this week, or over the weekend, excuse me, against Marion. I was there in attendance, but I told you before we hit record, I had a chance to go back and listen uh, to a good part of that broadcast. You and Amanda did a terrific job, so I wanted to start out saying that. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's been so good to hear kind of everybody's feedback about how well it went and how you know people just thought it went great. I, I tweeted this out a few days ago, but I went on YouTube like a couple of days later and I saw like somebody had posted like highlights for of it and it had like 15,000 views. Um, <clears throat> and I, I just, I don't know. It's been, a, it's been an awesome, it was a really, really cool experience, something that I'm never going to forget. Um, and hopefully, you know, next year, maybe I'll get another chance to do one an exhibition or maybe even a regular season game, but, uh, no, uh, just, I've been so overjoyed by just what people have been saying and the support that Amanda and I have gotten. I know, um if if she could say that she would and she's she thought it went really well and uh it was just a really fun experience one thing that's really impressed me about both of you is how well-rounded you are just in terms of what you do you obviously have a passion for broadcasting but you're writing for inside the hall and i've told you this kind of when we were talking through last spring uh the process of, of joining the inside the hall team you know as a student i think it's great to do as many things as possible and make yourself as well-rounded when you go out uh, into the real world, I think it's going to be uh, very appealing for prospective employers. So like I said, keep, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job and really looking forward to continuing to work Thank with you, you this season. Uh, I, I'm just curious what, how you were feeling, I guess, going into it. Uh, were you nervous at all? Like what was the preparation? It's obviously a little bit different. I would assume than broadcasting a game for, WIUX when you're actually going to be on TV and and yeah you know there, there's some people obviously listening to WIUX but I assume this is probably the largest audience you've had for a broadcast so far probably ever uh, yeah um, I it's way different than radio in the fact of like you really have to make sure you're on your A game with stuff like little stats or little just interesting tidbits of information about each player in radio. It's so like, you just have to know the numbers and the names and um, stuff like that, that that's really what's most important. Cause you're not going to have time to look down at your boards and stuff. But with TV, we really tried to like find interesting things about people. So 
Uh, we ended up scheduling a meeting with the Marion coach the week before. We talked to him for like 45 minutes um, and doing things like that. We had a production meeting with our producers. We talked about what graphics we wanted to run, uh, what were some things we wanted to talk about it, just so like all those things were prepped. Like we had a graphic on the freshman, the series history, um, it's stuff like that, the non-conference schedule for Indiana, stuff like that, that are major storylines heading into the season. Those were some things that we just had to walk through in the week leading up to it. But no, I, it's, I was so nervous. I was, I was so nervous, man. I mean, it's like you go into it and, and I expected to be nervous, but once you kind of get there and you're sitting courtside and people are coming up to you and asking you if you're ready or whatever, and you start talking on air to the producers with Big Ten Network in Chicago. It's just like it. it that's when it starts. Like, I guess for me, I kind of kicked into I'm in work mode. And once the broadcast goes, um, I, I felt pretty good. So the hard part is just getting over that hump of um, getting on air um, initially. Yeah, hopefully I didn't add to your nerves. I, I came over and said, "Told you and made a good luck before." <laughs> no, the game, no, I appreciate it. I knew it was, uh, I knew it was a big moment for both of you and uh, something that you were both looking forward to. So I'm glad that it went well. So for this week's episode of Podcast on the Brink, what I did was went into the Inside the Hall community over at members.insidethehall.com and asked folks for some questions. I figured we'd do a, a mailbag episode this week and. I had William on to here help me answer these questions. And I'll just start with, with the first question that I got. Um, I can answer this briefly uh, from, from a couple of people asking just in general about injury updates on Trace Jackson Davis and Tamar Bates. We have not talked to Mike Woodson since Saturday. He's not going to talk to the media again before Thursday. My sense is if neither player is 100% healthy, they're going to continue to sit out. If they're ready to go, they're going to uh, play. And I think that kind of applies going into the start of the regular season here. I, I think the first game that you, you circle on the calendar and say, Indiana really needs to be at full strength is at Xavier. I'm not saying that they, they wouldn't like to have everybody available next week when the regular season starts, but I think it's most important to have everybody as healthy as possible. And, and so, that's not a, an actual update on either player, whether they're actually going to play on Thursday or Monday or next Thursday. But I would say uh, it, at this point in the season, uh, you want to be as cautious as possible with injuries. And I think Indiana is going to continue to do that. So let's dive into some of the questions here, William. I'll kind of introduce each question and, and you can uh, chime in with your thoughts and, and, I, and I'll, I'll add my commentary as well. Uh, where applicable, but the first question is talking about the non-conference uh, marquee games. They didn't include Xavier in the question, but talking about Kansas, North Carolina, Arizona, if Indiana is able to win two of those three games or all three, what will be the reason they were able to win those games? What, what do you think on that? And disclaimer here, William, like Tyler Tashman, is you know, grew up following North Carolina basketball. So that will be a, a night for him, just like with Tyler. <laughs> well, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting night. Uh, a lot well, of fun to cover that game. But what, what do you think just on those three games in general, if, if Indiana is to be successful, what are they going to have to do well to win those? 
I think they're going to have to, I think their defense is going to have to be dominant. And then I also think they're going to have to get a lot of bench production. I, I think on all these teams that are top 25, and especially you think of North Carolina, Kansas, and Arizona, is like they have all of these teams probably have more talent than Indiana does, one through 10. And Indiana is going to have to, and this was a main problem, and I think there's a question on this later on, last year is they just, that second unit for Indiana just really struggled scoring the basketball, um, especially when Trey Galloway was injured. Um, so that's something, those are two things that jump out to me right away, is defensively they're going to have to be, um, they're going to have to play like they're the best defensive team in the Big Ten, and then they're going to have to get some bench production because you can count on trace to get you 15 and, and race and Xavier to probably get you around 10, especially in those big games. But other than that, they're going to have to find other scores. Um, I don't know if that's a Miller cop or uh, Jalen hood, Shafino, Malik Renu, uh, someone like that is going to have to step up. I would agree with, with a lot of that. The one thing that I've kind of cautioned people about these non-conference games entering the season. I get a lot of questions, you know, is Indiana, what do you think they're going to do in these four games? What's the record? You know, personally, my opinion, if they go two and two in those four games, I think they've done really well for themselves. People don't want to hear that. They obviously want to hear they're going to go three and one. They're going to go four and oh, but let's just look at each of these from a logical perspective at Xavier is the first road game of the season. It's going to be an environment that's, you know, formidable. They've they've got Sean Miller now returning to their program. There's excitement. You know, they're not a they're not a pushover. It, it's going to be a game where Indiana is going to be tested. North Carolina at home. I've been in Assembly Hall in some of the craziest environments. This one will definitely be up there. I think it's obviously a game Indiana could win, but they're going to have to play very well in order to do so. At Kansas, or I guess. Arizona's next. It's in Las Vegas. It's a neutral court game against another top 20 team. You kind of go in as a toss-up game on paper. At Kansas, teams typically don't win non-conference road games at Kansas. I know Kentucky did it last year, but these are all hard games. And so I think there's a scenario where Indiana can play really well and lose any of those games. So you have to, to really look at those in the sense of if Indiana splits these four games, I think they've done really well for themselves. And that's kind of the the perspective that I'm taking. I know fans don't want to hear that. They want to win every game, but that's obviously not always realistic. Let's move on to another question here about substitution patterns. The question is, do, do you see the substitution patterns in the non-warm-up games? Example being like versus a Xavier, or a tougher team varying from last year. Uh, the question mentioned mentioning that uh, you've heard Woodson already talking about unit one and unit two a couple of times to me, those are kind of NBA terms. Uh, I think that kind of drives fans a little bit nuts uh, when you see like these mass substitutions, because that's kind of what happens in the NBA. Sometimes what I, my opinion, and, and you can chime in here, William too, is, is that we're going to see obviously tighter rotations against tougher opponents but I am interested to see just in general how Woodson manages the bench this year opposed to last year because I thought at times last year there were situations where he was a little bit um, too aggressive maybe in subbing mm-hmm. in terms of numbers. I don't necessarily think you want to get in a yeah. situation where you've got your second five on the court 
uh, together against North Carolina. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's kind of what we saw last year. Um, and it's kind of what I was hinting at earlier is like just the second unit last year. It, it just when Woodson would put them in against a Purdue or against an Illinois um, or a Michigan, even um, it just they just could not score. They just couldn't score. Michael Durr, you couldn't count on. He didn't foul trouble. Um, Trey Galloway couldn't stay healthy. Jordan Geronimo didn't really do anything till the last like two weeks of the season. Uh, Tamar Bates, he had flashes, um, but he's a true freshman and he struggled defensively. Um, I think I'm with you. I think this year he's going to be a little bit tighter, but this is also a situation like this is the most talent we've ever seen on an in or not ever, but that we've seen on an Indiana bench in a long time. I mean, you're going to have, um, Tamar Bates, um, who's a former five-star likely coming off the bench. You're going to have Malik Renew, who he's a five-star and we know he can score the basketball in the post. Um, you're going to have Jordan Geronimo and Trey Galloway, two solid juniors. And then Hood Chafino is probably going to be running the point for that second unit. So it's like, that's three five stars in that. And I think there's going to be some growing pains in terms of the younger guys just being able to uh, get acclimated to the Big Ten and especially in those big games against like Xavier and North Carolina, like you mentioned. Um, and that's those are the games where you're really early on in the season going to have to lean on your older guys. Um, but I think it, these and especially the, the, the game against Marion and this game against St. Francis tomorrow um, and even the Moorhead State and Bethune-Cookman game, games next week, those are really going to be good opportunities, especially if uh, Tamar and Trace don't play because of injury. Um, like It's going to be good for Woody to figure out what rotation for the bench to do um, and how deep he wants to go. Because last year, there were games we'd see 10, 11 guys play in a Big Ten game. I don't know if, if Indiana's to be successful, he can do that again. Uh, but on the other side, this is the most talent they've ever had on the bench, especially under Woodson, far more than last year and in a long time. So I I don't really know. Um, I think for the big games, I think you got to go with your eight best guys, maybe nine. Uh, but that's that's kind of where I see it. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a situation on the bench for entering the season, you know, Anthony Leal and Caleb Banks are maybe your 12 and 13. That's you know, there were years in the Archie Miller era that Indiana would have loved to have, have those ta- th- that talent at the end of the bench. So they're in a good position, I think, talent-wise, but I still come back to the fact that the best teams that I've seen in college basketball over a long, sustained period of time are usually playing eight or nine guys, as you mentioned. There's, there's exceptions to that. There was a Kentucky team that almost went undefeated that they were had a platoon system, but they also had you know, so many NBA guys that they had Devin, Devin Booker, Booker coming off the, the De- Devin Booker <laughs> off the bench. So th- this is not what Indiana has. So yeah, I-, I think it's fine in these early games to get guys that experience and, and mix and match lineups. But there was far too many times last year where Indiana, as you said, had lineups on the court where they just couldn't score consistently enough. Early impressions on CJ Gunn. Do you think you, ha- he- this is a question. Do you think he has the potential to displace some of Miller cops minutes by the time Big Ten season gets in full swing. I'm not going to speculate on Miller Cop's minutes as it relates to CJ Gunn, but what I will, will say about 
CJ Gunn is that he really impressed me in the exhibition game with how quickly he got a shot off and how good his release looked. He did not look scared. He looked ready to come out there and fire away. And I think that's what Indiana needs uh, out of him, particularly with uh, the recent history of lacking uh, perimeter shooting with the program. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the perimeter shooters Indiana's had in recent years, and I think last year you look at Parker Stewart, and I you think CJ Gunn really out of all of them is probably the most fit to just be a true shooter. Um, you mentioned like he just he's a confident shooter. I mean, he shot like thirty seven percent in high school, not bad. Uh, but he, I mean, he also was their leading scorer and got to the rim as well. Um, he's bigger than you would think. He really is. He he's six six. He's got a lot of length. Um, he's better defensively, I think, than people think he is because of that length. Um, and if he can defend, he's going to find a way to get on the court, especially for Mike Woodson. Um, I'm not saying he's going to, you know, make down, make two threes a game, uh, like he did against Marion, um, or even see, I think he played like 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes against Marion. He's not going to see the court that much, but, um, he's one of those guys where if his number's called, he's not going to back down. He's going to go in there. He's tough. He's going to defend. He gives you size. Um, I think when you watch him play, the first thing you notice is like, it's just his release is so smooth and he gets so much elevation on his jump shots. He's really good against the fast closeout, like getting a shot over big men, um, taller guys in college. I think it's going to be easier for him than a Parker Stewart who had more so a, a slower, um, just kind of, trigger release uh when you watch cj gone it's just a lot more smooth i, I think he's going to be like the 10th or 11th guy in the rotation i don't know um if you can really put him in at the guard spot over a miller cop or a uh tamar bates or jalen hood shafino uh, but but i think down the road like i mean and i wrote this in my preseason profile on him but like down the road i really think he has capability to be a leading scorer on this team he just has that he can score from all three levels he's sneakily athletic um i I think fans should be really excited for him in the future i agree with everything you said there survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Next question is regard in regards to the level of play in the first exhibition versus tomorrow night, what, what should we, this is the question, what should we expect 
in terms of a noticeable difference between the two exhibition games. Uh, and the question also addresses wanting to see better play out of Xavier Johnson, Jordan Geronimo, and Caleb Banks. That, obviously, that's kind of pointing out the three guys who, I guess, didn't particularly play very well. But in, in a given game, you're going to have guys that don't play very well. So I wouldn't read too much into the first exib- exhibition. And I don't, you know, I felt like Indiana played pretty well in the first game. They won by 36 points and it was never really close. Obviously, they're playing an NAIA team, but really the thing I watch in these exhibition games is is really def- is defense with Indiana because I feel like they're going to have to win a lot of games with defense and they shot the ball well from the three-point line, obviously, in the first game. But overall, I, I just kind of watch energy and how hard they're playing in defense first. And I feel like the other things kind of kind of fall into line as you move along through the season. Yeah, um, I don't think we'll see too much difference between Marion and tomorrow night's game. Um, I think the biggest thing for exhibitions, and, and Woodson talked about this on his radio show, is like, He's just trying to figure out what combination of guys works the best. You know, what what groups have the most chemistry when they're on the floor together? Uh, what what groups are playing well defensively when they're out there together? What groups are playing well defensively, but they're not scoring? Or they're scoring a lot, but they're not playing hard on defense? Stuff like that. Th- that's kind of what these games are for. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean... You look at Xavier Johnson's performance, I think he was like, like one of nine from the field or two of nine from the field, but he just didn't shoot the ball that well. I think he played pretty well when he was out there. He played hard, um, and you could tell he was frustrated when he wasn't making a lot of shots. Um, I wouldn't read into that too much. I think, um, I don't know. I, I expect, I think in the next exhibition, I don't think the starters will play as much, um, especially if tomorrow and Trace play. Um, but uh, once again, I think these things are really to see lineups and to see, sorry about that, and to see um, what combination of guys fits the best. Yeah, it's it, it's hard to really draw too many conclusions uh, against a game that uh, doesn't count in the, in the standings. Ultimately, I, I think you you really want to get through it with kind of working on whatever you've talked about as a game plan going into the game and getting out of the game with nobody getting hurt. I think that's really the goal just to get to the regular season and get the actual games that count started. The next question is in regards to depth. I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but it says if, if Leal is number 13 on the roster, how is this going to work? Uh, I personally love Leal, but is not going to play very much. Fe- felt like we had no minutes and that was without Trace Jackson Davis and Tamar Bates. So it's kind of kind of in a weird situation now with Indiana basketball. We went from last season, people were complaining that there weren't enough good players in terms of the second unit, and now it's people wondering how they're going to accommodate all these players. It's kind of a good position to be in as a program to have this much talent. This is what you want when you're building a program. You want to have options because the worst thing you can have going into a season or going into a game is guys who are kind of complacent and feel like they're going to play no matter what. And in a situation like this where you have more competition for minutes, I think this is how you get better as a team. No, I, I'm 100% with you. I think it really helps in terms of just that practice environment, being able to have guys compete for spots rather than, like you said, uh, know that no matter what, they're going to get 20 minutes off the bench, no matter how bad they play, because they have to play. Um, 
And it also just helps from an injury perspective, just kind of that, you know, next man up attitude mentality. Um, in terms of Anthony Leal, it's just like, I don't know. I've had a really hard time seeing where he fits uh, with Woodson as the head coach. Uh, I know under Archie, his freshman year, like he had those flashes um, and Archie, it's his recruit. Um, so obviously he's going to play him. Um I think he had like nine points in that game at Wisconsin his freshman year. And, you know, this kid can really shoot the ball. But I just don't think he provides enough athleticism. And um, he was even even he was inconsistent with his shot last season when he got in there. He started two games that he didn't play well in those games. Um, And it's, you know, I, I don't it's just I don't it's hard to see where he fits. But another way talking to him at media day was like he's just a great guy. Like he, he, you know, he wants to root for his teammates and he kind of gave the notion to me that, uh, you know, he doesn't care if he plays or not. Obviously he wants to play, but if the team is winning and he's on the bench, energizing guys and, and getting excited and building good energy and, and vibes around the program, um, and being a good friend and being a good teammate, that's all he really cares about. Um, and I think that's maturity from him on that level. Um, but it's just hard to see where he fits on uh, in terms of just playing. Um, I, but I think overall he he does have a role and he has that role of, of being a supportive teammate, being competitive when he gets in, he's going to give effort um, and he's going to do his best. Um, and, and that's really all you can ask for a kid on your team to do. Yeah. You also, we haven't mentioned Trey Galloway is another guy that, he's going to be fighting for for minutes. And then you you look ahead to next season. We don't know exactly who's going to be here and who's not going to be here, but we know that Indiana's bringing in Gabe Cups and Ja'Kai Newton, and I'm sure he's going to still be trying to get guys in the portal next spring. So, you know, with Leo, ultimately, maybe he doesn't ever blossom into the guy with a regular role, but if he's content with being, you know, you know, one of the last guys on the bench, but, you know, getting a great education at IU kind of being in the city that he's from and being a part of a winning team. That's, that's, there's, there's value in that to the program. So I wouldn't necessarily worry too much uh, about his minutes. Next question is re- in regards to Trace Jackson Davis and comparisons to Cody Zeller. And this was something that I actually thought about a little bit. Uh, let me just kind of read through this uh, we saw a video of Trey Jackson Davis hitting outside shots when he was testing the NBA draft is that something you think we'll see more of this year from Trace Jackson Davis we'll start with that part of it and then we can go on to the rest of it William do you think we're going to see more of that this season from Trace Jackson Davis no I do not I do not think we'll see it I know this has been people have just been it's been like this for three years with him but I I just I'm I don't think we're going to see it. I, I really don't. Uh, and that's okay. Like he doesn't, in order for this team to win, it's not like he needs to be pulling up from three, bringing the ball down the court, doing spin moves uh, like Blake Griffin was when he was with the LA Clippers. Like he doesn't need to be that kind of player. Um, he just needs to be a back to the basket. I'm going to get this rebound. I'm going to block this shot and I'm a score. That's what he needs to do for this team to win. And Indiana has been most successful when he's done that at a high level. They don't need him to be jacking up threes or even I, I know Woodson has talked about like 
him being able to shoot from 15 feet out, like even then, like he doesn't really like, that's really not necessary, especially if race Thompson can stretch the floor. Like he did against Marion. He definitely needs to improve as a free throw shooter. You're not going to succeed in the NBA if you're shooting 60% from the line um, as an undersized big man. Um, so that's definitely something he needs to do. And I think he needs to be a little bit better off the dribble in the post when he's facing up guys. Um, but if if he can just have a dominant left hand, he can defend at a high level like he did last season, and he can rebound at a high level, uh, averaging like 18 points a game. That's, that's what he needs to do for Indiana to succeed. Um, and in terms of the Cody Zeller thing, um, maybe we can talk about that later after you. Yeah, chime no, in. no, we can talk. We can talk about that. Let me, let me say a couple of things. Part, part of the reason that this is discussed in terms of the, the shooting is because anyone that follows the NBA, which I follow pretty closely, I, I don't know how close you follow the league, but if you're going to make it in the NBA now um, and you're not, I mean, you know, we saw this with Kofi, right? Kofi came out last year. He's like, he's not on a roster. So you're not going to just make the NBA because you're a big guy and can dunk the ball and get, make plays at the rim. The NBA looks for guys that can, that are athletic, that are, can, can shoot the ball. Um, you mentioned the free throw shooting. I think that's a pretty big deal because when you're projecting a player forward or whether they can stretch their game out to the perimeter, um, you look at free throw shooting and say, can this person shoot and can we make them into a decent perimeter shooter? So that's one reason why, why the shooting's talked about. There's two different conversations here. The first conversation is what does Indiana need from Trace Jackson Davis to be successful as a team? You laid that out pretty clearly what Indiana needs from him. More of what we saw last season. He was really good. He was in the conversation for first team all Big Ten. He's the preseason Big Ten player of the year. He's all of that without shooting three-pointers or shooting long shots, okay? So the second part of the conversation is what does Trace Jackson Davis need to do to make himself a more appealing NBA prospect? I'm not sure that he can at this point for a couple reasons because he's as old as he is. The NBA is going to look at him and say he's 22 or 23 years old, so I'd rather draft somebody that's 18 or 19 that I can develop myself and maybe has long-term potential. and. If I am going to take a chance on this guy, I do want to see better shooting. And you mentioned the free throw shooting as, you know, a thing that that really needs to get better. All right, let's get into the Cody Zeller thing. So the second part of this question says, TJD reminds me of a Cody Zeller. Great defense, good low post presence and footwork, can run to the basket and finish at the rim. Why do you think Cody went number four overall and TJD is looking like a second round pick or undrafted? I've got thoughts on this. You can go ahead first, yeah, though. Okay. Um, I just think the league has just changed so much since Cody Zeller got drafted. I mean, like, if Cody Zeller was coming out of Indiana, uh, even last season or this season, he might be a late first round pick. Like, I really don't think... Um, number four overall. And this is one thing I was thinking about this earlier when you sent this out, but that Cody Zeller out of high school was the best player in his class. Trace was one of the best. He was in 30s to 20s, I think. Um, well, Cody was what? Top, he was top, Cody, Cody was top 10. He wasn't number one. Dave, Anthony oh, Davis okay. was number one, but he was. Okay. 
Yeah. He was top he was top ten, depending on where you want to look. But yeah, Trace was more twenty twenty to thirty. Yeah. I think and I think that matters, to be honest. And maybe it shouldn't as much as it does, but I really think, you know, got NBA scouts put labels on these guys when they go to college and they check back on them right after high school and say, Okay, how's this guy doing? or what's this guy up to? Um Cody Zeller. Um I'm I just I remember so when I grew up a huge Carolina fan and uh, I think we saw a similar thing with his brother Tyler Zeller who went on to play at Carolina is there was there was always hope like there was always like hope like he will he'll be able to develop a jumper like it's okay for him this is just how he's succeeding at college if he really needed to like he could step out and, and make some threes um and when they got to the NBA that just never happened um that's kind of my stance on it um but yeah I mean I, I don't I think it's just the league has changed so much in the 10 years that it's been since you know that draft class um and you know you see the guys getting picked in the top 10 you mentioned it like you look at the forwards last year that got drafted Jabari Smith um you know guys like that like the ability Paolo to be can shoot Paulo spread the floor at the size they have run the floor as well you have to have good ball skills now um to be a big man in the NBA because I mean you're going to be going up against you're going to be guarding the Greek freak and Nikola Jokic every single night you're going to have to do those things um and I just don't think Trace's role would be that in the NBA I really don't um if I've always thought of this comparison for Trace if he were to make the NBA and develop a jumper I think he could have a career similar to a guy like Grant Williams um, who came out of Tennessee a few years ago. I remember in college, I mean, that that dude rarely shot. I mean, he rarely shot from the outside. Um, and he's similar size, even smaller than Trace. Um, I think Trace is a little more athletic than him, uh, so he can make up for him in that ground. But like, I feel like that's a reasonable comparison for a type of career that we could expect. Um, but I think the thing you mentioned with the age for Trace is a good point because uh he's he's a senior he's 22 um you kind of know what you're getting with him um and this isn't this isn't the time to be experimental with indiana basketball on him it's not like indiana's supposed to be bad and he can just start halfway through the season when they're 10 and 10 start just throwing up jumpers and going for 40 points a night that's not what the case is going to be this year yeah i mean a couple things Cody Zeller, I feel, was a more skilled player than Trace Jackson Davis. That's not to take anything away from Trace, but I just think in general, Cody was a more talented player when he was at Indiana than than Trace's. That's not to say that he was more productive in terms of stats or anything like that. I just, you know, I feel like he made other player other people better. You mentioned the free throw shooting. It's not a, and I'm not saying Trace doesn't make others better, but I, I think Cody did that at a at a higher level. The free throw shooting, Trace is the career 67% free throw shooter. Cody, I think, was 75. So maybe you say that's not a huge difference, but I think it is. Uh, I think one of the reasons that Cody went number four is I think M- NBA teams saw a guy that could shoot and thought that they could probably stretch him out a little bit and make him a three point shooter. 
I think there was a stretch in his career where he was trying to take some threes that never really materialized. He was a, you know, you talk about Trace being able to run the floor. Cody Zeller, since I've been covering Indiana basketball in 2000, since 2007, is the best run the floor big man that I've seen. Uh, is what, as good as Trace Jackson Davis is at that. Cody Zeller was better. So, you know, William, you make some great points. I mean, the NBA is different now than it was in 2013. If Cody Zeller was coming out now, there's no way he would be the number four pick. But, you know, he made $75 million in his career. He's not in the league this year. He was uh, signed, I think, by Utah and then cut in training camp. So he's got $75 million. Knowing Cody like I do, he probably has all $75 million. Uh, and is going to, you know, if he doesn't have to play basketball another day in his life, he's going to be just fine. With Trace, I think, I, I think the biggest thing he can do this season is win a lot of games and take his team on a deep tournament run. Get an a NBA team, spotlight. right? Yeah, right. An NBA team is going to say this guy came to a program that was not in a very good spot, and by the time he left, they were competing for the Big Ten championship. And they were going on a deep tournament run. And he was the reason, one of the focal points of of that. You know, I don't necessarily think he needs to be taking three-pointers. and It's not going to be necessarily good for Indiana. So as much as we like to talk about that in the media and write about it and ask Coach Woodson about it for Indiana basketball, not necessarily the best thing. So, William, before we go on this week's episode, this is just a question from me to you as we get ready to open the season five days from now, the games are going to start coming pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, Xavier in, in North Carolina, both in November. And then obviously you got a big 10 game in December, along with Kansas and Arizona. What are you going to be looking for early in the season from this team? Uh, when you evaluate how much better they are, if we can start to buy into this whole top 15, you know, I've been a little bit less, I think Indiana deserves to be ranked in the preseason. I won't go as high as some of, you know, I think they've been as high as six or seven, depending on where you look. I think that's a little bit too high. I'm more in the, you know, 15 to 25 range being more realistic to start the season. But what are you going to look for here this first couple weeks of the season to, to, to give you an indication of where Indiana is as a team? I think we're going to have to see if, I think the big things are, can Indiana's offense be multidimensional? And can they do a lot of different things and a lot of different things well? Um, And we saw that towards the end of the season, when you think of that Big Ten tournament run they had last year, which if they don't go on that run and make the tournament, they might not even, they're definitely not going to be ranked 13th in the country. Um, Who knows if they get Malik Renew as a recruit? I mean, so many what ifs there. Um, but. I think if can they be multidimensional? Can Xavier Johnson lead the offense well in a pick and roll? Can they make threes, um, open threes? Um, and I think the the other big thing is how big of difference makers are these freshmen really going to be? Um, I mean, I know the game against Marion, like they were huge difference makers. Renew led the team in scoring. Huchfino had like eight points, four rebounds, a couple of assists. Um, I think he had 10 points. I'm not sure. Um, but 
are they actually going to be difference makers when it comes to those games at Xavier against North Carolina when Big Ten play starts? Are they going to be able to get eight, ten points a game? Is Renew going to be able to come off the bench and and score and work in the post and defend at a high level? I think those are all the questions that I'm looking for because if the freshmen and newcomers can do that, especially early on in the season, it's going to be a really good sign for Indiana especially uh, towards the latter half of Big Ten play um, and just for the future of the program. Um, I think those those are the big things. I, I'm, in terms of Indiana's offense, I really think, and we saw this a little bit against Marion, but it's hard to judge against like an NAIA school. I think they need to get out and transition a little bit more. Um, I think that was a big thing last year. It just became so just like Xavier Johnson dribbles the ball up, let me feed, let me find trace in the post, see what he can do. Um, if he misses, hopefully we get his rebound and then work the offense again. Um, and, and then they started doing more screening actions and pick and rolls and that worked. But um, I, I think they, they need to find other options offensively. And I think getting in transition is the best way to do that. Um, especially when now you have two playmaking guards with Hood Shafino in there, if he's in the starting unit, he's going to be able to facilitate um, and Parker Stewart, couldn't really do that. He was turnover prone. Um, so I think, I think that's really going to be a thing I'm looking out for. William, it's been awesome to have you on the inside of the hall team so far this season. I know we're just getting ready to get started with, uh, a lot more, uh, of the season here. And it's going to be a lot of fun uh, working with you. Thanks for coming on the show this week. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We'll be back next week with another episode of podcast on the brink. If you enjoy the show, as always, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify. Uh, that really helps us uh, grow the show and get uh, raise more awareness uh, for Indiana basketball fans who may not know about us. So thanks for doing that. And we will talk to everybody again next week on another episode of Podcast on the Brink. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.